Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Living Clean Podcast. I'm Mason S. I'm an addict. With me, as always, is my man, TK. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to quit saying always, though, if you keep missing. Well, I didn't mean to miss. I had technical difficulties on the other side of the state. I understand. We'll give you a pass this time. So tonight, we're going, moving on down the line. We're just recorded Tradition 2. And now we're rolling on into tradition three. Can you believe it? You can count, can't you? Barely. I had to think for a minute. <laughs> but tonight our guest is uh, Miss Jess C. Uh, how you doing, Jess? I'm pretty good. Thanks so much for asking me to come on the podcast. Thanks so much for doing it. Uh, of we're excited to have you. Uh, when I asked Jess if she would do a tradition for for us, uh, she was like, which one? She said, I said, tradition three. And she was like, I love that tradition. So mm-hmm. perfect. Yes. Um, so let's start with your clean date and your give your home group a shout out. Okay. Uh, my clean date is 6316. Uh, and my home group is the SPOT. It stands for the spiritual principle of today. But we thought we were cool. So we like to call it the SPOT. And it's in Donaldson, Tennessee. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so last week we had a member on here who happened to have the same home group and I asked him mm-hmm. what his thoughts about the recovery atmosphere was in Nashville. I'm going to ask you the same, uh, what's the recovery atmosphere like in Nashville, Tennessee? Uh, you know, Nashville is a booming recovery hub, um, but it has changed, right? So I got clean in 2016 and it was a really pretty kind of a tight-knit community. And then, you know, things happened in the world where it got crazy. And that has kind of resulted in we had a lot of meetings that shut down, but some are opening back up. And so things are just different, right? Like, it's just different. Um, but, I mean, I think that's just part of it. You know, things change. The longer we stay around, things just change. And so we just have to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think we're all kind of recovering still from the pandemic. And, you know, the fellowship as a whole done a great job, actually, throughout that. I know we had, we had not, uh, if we'd had our choice, we wouldn't have lost as many groups. And, you know, but it's kind of like life on life's terms. And I Mm -hmm. think we've, we begin to rebound really well and, you know, kind of putting into application what the program's teaching us you know and we had to do it in a real life scenario not just the individuals but us as a fellowship and the individual groups inside of the fellowship and areas and regions you know they all took a hit you know just like everybody else you know so i'm glad everything's up and rolling yeah it's pretty good so i'm gonna get into since this is your first time on here, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to share a little bit about your story 
because we want okay. our listeners to get to know you. Um, kind of just talk about what life was like before NA, how you found NA, and what's happened since. Okay, I can do that. Well, my name is Jess, and I'm an addict. Hey, Jess. I don't even know. Can you even tell your story without saying that first? I don't think you can. Um, so I'm from Florida, right? I live in Nashville, Tennessee now. Uh, and I'm from Florida, born and raised in Florida. And uh, I don't come from like a broken home. I mean, my parents were divorced, but like, I feel like everybody's parents are divorced. So that's not really like a, you know, a thing. Um but I, I moved around a lot, like as a, as a kid, like I think I went to like six or seven different elementary schools um, because my mom's job like required that we move around. And so in that two things happened. I never really fit in. Right. I never like got friends. I don't have like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, this is where I had my childhood. I don't have that. That's not a thing for me. Um, and the other thing that happened is I learned how to fit wherever it was necessary. Right. So like I started to become a chameleon without knowing what I was doing. Right. I was just trying to not be the new kid at school and be kind of cool. Um, and so when I got to sixth grade, it was the last time my mom said uh, she said, we're not going to move anymore. We're going to stay here. And I said, OK, great. And when I got to sixth grade, I ended up hanging out with some kids who were I'm just going to say the one thing, but they were smoking pot. And so, so I wanted to be a cool kid. Right. And so I was like, yeah, of course I can do that. Of course I'm going to do that. And I'm pretty sure that I said I had done it before. Right. You know what I mean? Like I pretended like I had already done it when I had never done it before. Um, and I remember feeling like this was it. I found it. This was the thing. I wasn't weird. I wasn't socially awkward. I wasn't like concerned about if I was fitting in or not, like I felt okay in my skin for like the first time ever. Right. And like I was 13. And so I didn't really have a lot of, I wasn't really given a lot of like uh, tools, you know, to like figure out how are you feeling and why are you feeling like that and all that jazz. And so for the first time, I just had this thing that I couldn't, I could take and it changed the way I feel to like a good thing. So I rolled with it. I jumped in and I went like I would I didn't I wasn't a weekend warrior like I used every single day uh and so like the progression was quickly like I think I was in seventh grade and I was walking around in school with a like a insulated cup drinking right like in school because I'm a Billy badass and I just feel like I'm not going to get caught obviously um so that obviously was a fast track right like we went to high school got into harder things graduated high school went to college and then it was over I didn't have any more parents anymore so like all through school uh I was like so my mom so I would use right I was high all the time it didn't matter what and like at this point I never I didn't have a drug of choice Right. Like I just had the I'm going to use whatever is available so that I don't have to sit into my own skin. Right. And so I was still a party girl. It wasn't really a problem. Everything was fine. But my mom knew I was high. She knew. But I was the addict and I still am the person that really like I need you to think that I have all of my shit together. 
And so I did all of the things that made it look like I was a functioning member of whatever that community was. Like I played sports and I was in the chorus and I had extracurricular activities. So my mom would be like, I know you're high right now. And I would be like, me? How could you even say that? Like, do you see all these things I'm doing? And I make these great grades. Like, I cannot believe that you would say that. I was high. Like, I was so high. I had to come clean about that years later. And I had to apologize to my mom because apparently she had to go see a therapist because she thought that she was crazy. That's a whole side note. But so I get to college. Uh, and it's just a, it's just a, uh, it, I'm still a party girl. Right. But things are going downhill quickly. Uh, I didn't actually graduate college. I did walk across the stage and lie about graduating college. That was the thing that I did have to come clean with on my four steps. So I lied about it for a good 15 years. It's fine. Um, I really like had used drugs for so long that I didn't know that there was another way to live, right? Like one of the things that I told myself for the longest time was that everybody did drugs. They might not have done them the way I did them, but everybody did them, right? And so it was very easy for me to justify my behavior. Now, I also was, I always had a job, right? And I was a bartender. That's what I did. And like, nobody really cares if their bartender is messed up. Like they're not, you know what I mean? It's a pretty, pretty great profession for addicts. Let me just say that. Um, so I state graduated college. Um, I moved to South Florida and I moved to South Florida and I was working in a bar and that is where I met my drug of choice. Uh, that was where I like fell in love with the thing, right? With the substance. And that's where I started to do the things like, you know how we have the list when we enter into this life uh, of the things that we're never going to do, right? Like before I was a party girl and like I could get you the things and then I didn't really, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. So this was what everybody did to cope. And that's what I told myself. And then I met the love of my life and then I started to really compromise the things that I said that I was never going to do right like uh, I ended up homeless uh, in my mid-20s my mother bought me a cremation package uh, for Christmas it might have been my birthday I'm not clear on the date uh, but she called me and told me I needed to come to her house and she said that she had bought me this cremation package and I had to carry around, it's like a little credit card, it's like a credit card. And I had to carry that around in my wallet because she was tired of wondering if I was already dead. And that if I had this card, they would call her when I was found dead. And so, but like, I didn't, I wasn't floored by that. I was like making jokes with the little, this poor little man who was like 70 was selling my mom this cremation package and he was not prepared for me. Like it was not, I was making jokes about like, could I move into this little box? And like, you know, that's in your mid twenties, like that's kind of a big deal. Parents don't buy their kids like end of life arrangements. So that didn't wake me up. That wasn't a thing. At some point, uh, I did all the things, right? Like I was homeless. I'd been arrested many times. I did have to go to another fellowship at some point. Uh, because of a DUI that I had gotten and I went to the other fellowship and I wasn't like trying to stop using I mean I was like not drinking right because I was like oh well 
I'm kind of following the rules. It's fine. Uh, so I wasn't drinking, but I had no intention of stopping, of not using, right? Like I didn't, ha I didn't think that that was even a thing that was possible for me. And so as my life got worse and worse and worse, and I finally was in uh, Pensacola, Florida, and I had, uh, let me back up a little bit. I also did try to make the geographical change, right? Like, so I had a friend of mine who had gotten clean maybe three years. He had like maybe three years clean and he had a flooring company, right? And so he traveled around the country and installed flooring in movie theaters. And I was in a, some state of desperation, right? And said, listen, I really want to stop using. Like, I want to stop using and I don't know how. And he was like, look, just come with me. Uh, we'll like, you know, work and like try to get you to stop. Now he had gotten clean and he wasn't super big in the fellowship. Right. Uh, and I know that our topic today is third tradition and like this guy is going to come in to that place later. So this is why I'm like saying it. Uh, but he was like super kind to me and kept me safe. And like he, I wasn't ready. Right. Like the dope man lives everywhere. I was all over from like Nevada to New York to Pennsylvania. And I found dope every single place that I went because I wasn't ready to stop. So I finally, I finally left that place, went uh, to Pensacola, got into this huge fight with a person that I use with regularly. My mom came and got me and brought me to Nashville. And when I came to Nashville, I didn't, I didn't plan on getting clean, right? Like, because again, I still didn't think that that was a thing. Like, I at least wanted to, like, figure out how to, like, smoke weed. Honestly, like, if I could do that, that would be, like, great, right? But I know from experience that I've tried to do it so many times and it's never worked. But still, you know, the insane the insane thinking. So, uh, I end up in Nashville. I am all beat up. Um I'm in my mom's house and like, this is the last house on the block, right? Like this is the last time my mom's going to take me in. Um, she's been going back and forth with me for this for 20 freaking years. Like this is it. And I, I, I want to not use, right? Like I want to not use. And so she would go to work every day for like maybe a week. Uh, I was in the house trying to heal because my face was all messed up and I was alone. And so I would walk up to the little gas station, right, and get like a beer or two just to try to take the edge off because I didn't know how to not use. I had no idea how to sit still in my own skin, and it was so uncomfortable. And so my mom would come home, of course, and she'd be like, why do you smell like beer? And I'd be like, that is the craziest thing I have ever heard. Like, why would you even say that to me? Uh, yeah. So I woke up one day. I don't know. I've been there maybe a week. I woke up one day and I knew that I was going to get high. Like, that's what we were going to do. I was going to get higher. I was going to do something different. And I didn't know what something different looked like. But I did remember that I had to go to the other fellowship some time ago. And I remember that there was another fellowship and it had the word narcotics in it. And I was like, ah, that could might possibly be for me. And so I Googled it because, you know, Google knows all the things. And I showed up to a meeting and I had no intention, really, like I... I didn't have a plan. I wasn't even sure. Uh, and so I, I showed up to the meeting. 
I didn't hear anything they said, right? I didn't hear not one word that they said. Uh, but I did realize that there was a bunch of people in this room who said that they weren't doing drugs. And I was curious. And so I came back as the series of events kind of made me understand that maybe that I could try, right? And if I tried and it didn't work, then I could go about my business and like die, right? Because that's really where we were going. Um, and so at some point I made the decision to become a member. Uh, and I started doing all the things and now, well, I just celebrated seven years clean. Like I didn't think when I had uh, two days clean that I would have seven years clean, right? Like I was trying to get three days clean and that sounded impossible. And so like the gratitude that I have for giving myself the opportunity to give myself a chance, right? And like take the suggestion for a pro from a program that was like, it was, was ready-made. It was built already when I got here. All I had to do was like insert myself and do what they said. And so it's, I'm just super grateful. So I'm curious, um, what were some of the initial challenges that you had when you first came into the fellowship? Like some of the suggestions that maybe they gave you that you were like, I'm not doing that shit. Uh, so I was lucky enough to have the largest gift of desperation, right? Um, I do have two white key tags. Uh, they said that alcohol was a drug, right? Um, and I think I had maybe like, I don't know, seven or eight days clean or something. And remember, I was a bartender. I've been a bartender all this time. So I was a bartender my first 18 months clean. I do not recommend it. Um, this is just what my story is. And so I was training with my little seven or eight days clean at this bar. And all the bartenders wanted to go out for lunch. And I said, uh, yeah, of course, I'll go out for lunch. It's the middle of the day. No big deal, right? And we go to a brewery. Uh, and in my mind, I'm like, yeah, it's just one beer. It's fine. It's no big deal. So I order the beer. I had one beer, right? And like we're, the beer is full. We're good. We're drinking beer. No big deal. Alcohol is not a drug. We're fine. Uh, I drink I don't know, a third of the beer. And then I'm kind of like, how much money do I have? And like, I drink about half the beer and I'm like, so I've lived in Nashville. I hadn't found a dope man yet because I wasn't confused about what would happen. I had about half a beer and I was like, I bet one of these people know the dope man. And I had that thought. I put down my things. Like I was eating a burger. I put it down and I left. And like, thank God that I had even been in recovery and thinking a little bit about what they said and was like able to see what was happening because I would have been off to the races. And so I went the very next day, I called someone, told them, went the very next day and got a white key tag. So I was, uh, that's my suggestion that I really didn't want to do with alcohol as a drug. So I tried it out and luckily I didn't really have to like run out. I just had the one beer. You think the pieces started to fit together whenever you had those thoughts you started thinking that maybe alcohol is a problem oh no for sure a hundred percent when my second thought was about yeah. the dope man i was like oh wait a minute just wait a minute yeah but most of the other things i just did them right like i just did what they told me to i did think it was very stupid that they said uh if you want to use call somebody and really, I was like, if it was that easy, don't you think I would have quit using it on my own? Like, I don't even understand the math of this. <laughs> but, 
but I did it and it worked. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, what did life kind of look like during when you first got clean? Like, did you live by yourself? Were you with your mom still? You live with mom? Yeah. I live with my mom still, and it was a very stressful time because yeah. my mom was my mom for a long time, and she was just waiting for me to do what I'd always done. Right. And so I had to really process what I was thinking and feeling with other people and not my mom, right? Mm -hmm. Because she was allowed to feel how she was feeling. And I didn't have any right to be defensive or mad or whatever, because uh, I mean, she, she was just waiting for me to do what I'd always done. So it was a really difficult time. And so I always, when I find people who are in a situation where they're struggling with their family members early on, like I just like encourage people to like just get like some people that you are open to talking and being honest with because I would call people and like cuss my mama out to them right not to her you know what I mean because we we have these feelings but our feelings aren't facts but sometimes they just need to come out and so if we're processing that with someone else it's a lot easier to just like stay the course and kind of remain neutral in that situation Going to mom's at 20 sucks. Once yeah, you know we're going that, it is. It is horrible. Let me see them okay. eyes. As soon as you come in the door, like, let me see them eyes. Well, let me yeah. show you what high looks like. I need a good reason to go get, you know, glitzed. Yes. That was a, I was 35 and my mom kept sticking her nose in my mouth when I was drinking those beers. Oh. She'd be like, let me smell it. <laughs> How long did that go on after you got clean? Um, well, I think I lived there until I had about six months clean. And so the other part was my mom had loaned me money to buy a car. And so she was also terrified that she wasn't going to be paid back, you know, and she doesn't really have the money to not be paid back. And so even after I moved out, cause I was making the payments, we came up with the payment plan. Like I always made the payments. I was never late. And so even after I moved out, she was still, I mean, I'd only been clean six months. I used for 21 years, right? Like oh. she went through this with me for 20 years. So it was, it was touch and go for a while. I probably, it was probably not until I had 18 months, two years clean. And now my mom's one of my best friends. That's awesome. That's what, that was what I was going to lead into. What's the, how's that relationship changed? It's so good. I'm going there tomorrow, actually. That's, I talk to her almost every day. That's awesome. That is fantastic. And I I bet she's uh got full blown faith in you now, don't you? Yeah, she totally she does. It's it's wild to be like the one that you know you can like even my sister, who we didn't even have a relationship, it's like you're the one that shows up. And I'm like, who knew that I would be the one? You know? <laughs> it's crazy. You know, <clears throat> but when you're, when you're brand new, you know, 18 months or two years can seem like a lifetime. Uh, but you know, that's why if you're listening to this and you're still rebuilding that relationship and developing that trust, it, don't give up, you know, don't. two years seems like a long time, but before you know it, you'll be looking back like you are with seven years and that was five years ago now. So, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it does seem like a long time when you think about it, but that's I just you just just stay in the day, right? Like just stay in the day. Let's not think about two years out. Let's just get there today. <laughs> well, what about outside your mom? How have your other relationships changed since you got in? You talked about uh, being the, you know, you were talking about being like the chameleon that could fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- have you noticed a change in that? Uh, yes, I have noticed. I mean, when I first got clean, um, like that's taken some time, right? Because like, that's kind of a character defect. And that is like, you know, people pleasing um, and just like trying to basically fit in and make everybody happy that's not myself and so after doing some step work and working a six step and like you know becoming aware of my defects like it's been a it's been a process but like I have been able to step more into my own person right and so and that's not always uh sometimes that's messy right like because we form relationships with people early on in recovery and as we like do work things change and so it so the short answer is uh yes i have become less of a chameleon but sometimes in an uncomfortable situation like i could revert back to it pretty easy because it's just easy and it'll get me out of there so i just have to have some awareness right yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah and you know the thing about people who struggled with the chameleon thing because i can relate to that too is when you finally become confident and the decisions and the things that you make uh you're gonna rub some people the wrong way from time to time and i think recovery's given us an avenue to where we don't have to feel guilty about that like we can feel empathy because the other person's upset but to be confident in our decisions and be able to stand by them that's that's really huge for the people who, you know, well, most addicts can find a, a way to fit in just about anywhere. But, you know, I think the process of the steps and stuff like that's allowed us to feel good about our decisions or at least stand behind them. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. All right. Well, you ready to dive into the topic today? Yeah, well, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to bring my man Trav in here to read it for us. All right. Tradition three, the only required membership is the desire to stop using. Tradition three. All right. So, Jess, what do you got for us on that? Well, you know, I did have to do some homework because I, uh, like any good addict, obviously said I have nothing to share about this topic. What do I even know about anything, right? And so I was like, well, let me pull this book out. And... So, uh, I also had to talk to my sponsor about it and she was like, what's your experience with it? And I was like, I don't know. Do I even have experience with it? And then she's like, uh, yeah, dummy. She didn't call me a dummy. Um, so that, that guy, right. Okay. So like tradition three, right. It's the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop using. And like, we, as members who have made the decision to join and be a part of Narcotics Anonymous, like have to extend that to new members, right? But once we accept that we are a member of Narcotics Anonymous, like, so I was reading the guiding principles and right off rip, right? It says, there is only one requirement for membership, but membership will require much of us. 
So like once we decide, once we make a decision to become a member of Narcotics Anonymous, like we're required to do some shit. You know what I mean? Like, and I say that because like, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't feel so passionate about this tradition, except that when I got here, like somebody showed me the way, right? Like somebody believed in me who I didn't have anything or believe in myself. Somebody believed in me just enough. It was nice enough to me and welcoming to me, even though I hadn't been welcome anywhere in years. And they showed me, like, what did I need to do? Right? Like, where did I need to go? What were the things that I had to do to begin to start to understand how to find a new way to live? And, like, if somebody hadn't have done that for me, I wouldn't be clean today. A hundred percent. And so... My sponsor said, she said, she said, just share your experience on tradition three. And I said, okay, I can do that. So before I came to the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous and I was installing flooring with that guy, right? And he was one of my very good friends. Uh, he was actually, he was actually in the other fellowship, but he, but they also have a tradition. <laughs> um, but he was extending to me like this compassion and love and just like understanding that he knew where I was even though I wasn't ready so like that's where the seed was planted for me right because he was the first person that I knew that was really as messed up as I was but stopped using drugs and the piece about it was he was always so happy it was like the jolliest dude I I ever saw and I was so confused about that but I was still using and I wasn't ready but, like, that was the piece, right? Like, that was the little mustard seed that, like, a lot of people talk about. And so by the time I had got to Narcotics Anonymous, there was a another guy, right? Because for whatever reason, I came in and used a lot over my relationship with my father, right? And the God of my understanding now, I, I know now that the God of my understanding put a person in my life when I first got to Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, that like emulated a father-like relationship for me, right? And so he was the one that said, come to this meeting, meet me at this meeting and I'll introduce you to some women, right? Like, because that's a super important part. Uh, and if he, if, if he hadn't introduced me to those women and those women hadn't started to show me like how to live, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be clean. And so the guy, right, his name is Doug, that was here when I got here and kind of like ushered me into this, into the right people in the right spaces, had gotten cancer, right? Uh, the same, same time I came in and I ended up helping him and taking care of him to the end of his life, right? And so he... I got three years clean on June 3rd. He died on June 7th. And on June 7th, the just for today, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you know anything about the just for today, uh, is just for today, I will have faith in someone in Narcotics Anonymous who believes in me and wants to help me in my recovery. Wow. And so, like, the third tradition is, like, hammered into my soul. And so I have to like really take an inventory to practice it 
because I don't always want to practice it. Let's be honest. But like, I always remember that, like, I don't know who's going to stay. I don't know who just walked in here and is terrified and is going to stay, but didn't stay because somebody didn't give him a hug. Like, I can't be, I can't have that on my conscience. So, like, if you're a newcomer and you show up at a meeting where I'm at, I apologize because it's very overwhelming. And I hug you and I ask you a million questions and I introduce you to everybody. You know, when I think about Tradition 3, you know, uh, of course, there's this big debate about when they change that tradition, whether it was part of. You're talking about the honest. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, there yep. was there was a point to where they used the honest desire and which I'm all about some of the old literature and all that stuff, but it's one of the things that I'm really glad that they changed. Uh see the thinking behind that from my understanding is desire is not a measurable commodity. Right. So if you come in there and you say you have the desire regardless of your actions, regardless of where you come from, what you look like, whatever, whatever substance you used, you're welcome. And I mm -hmm. cannot ever say that you are not welcome and vice versa. Nobody can ever tell me that I'm not welcome. I wish that was the first thing that we taught newcomers because a lot of times, you know, well, a lot of times people that are not ready, they use the excuse of, I don't jive with those people. They didn't treat me this way. But if you understand the third tradition, I don't care if we jive or not. You're not, you can't get me out of there, you know? So, um, honest desire when they had that, somebody could say he doesn't have, or she doesn't have an honest desire. And now today desire is not measurable. So I can never look at you and say that you're not welcome. Right. Yeah. I, I was talking to my sponsor about the honest piece and we were talking about, uh, that that was that was the change but like thank god they changed it and made it into something that was completely not measurable because you know how we get sometimes oh, yeah. <laughs> you know people don't do what we think that they should be doing and so we you know we if we if we are given the opportunity to be able to say oh there's a loophole and bash somebody with the tradition we'll do it mm-hmm that's right. We most certainly will. Um, you know, I think this, this membership thing is crucial to the, to the foundation of our fellowship. And, you know, I think back to the other fellowship when they were putting it together and they think, and they made all these rules, <laughs> rule 60, 60, 61 rules, oh, 61. Yeah. They made 61 rules. And then when they got to rule 62, they decided that, you know, if people, if these people could have followed 61 rules, they probably wouldn't need this fellowship in the first place. So rule 62 was don't take yourself so serious. Um, well, by the book that she great. read the just for day from, there's definitely a desire there, ain't there? No doubt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No doubt. We, we noticed your uh, purple Barney just for today. Oh yeah. This was, um, this is my friend Doug's. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. So this is my guess for today. It's a very yeah, colorful book. Well, you can't have it. 
It, no, yeah. Well, I've got, I have some. I have some. No, there you can't put a price on that book. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, yeah, that's the, that's just the one for me. And I mean, it obviously, I love old literature. Like I just sat through a, uh, a history lesson. I was at a camp out this last weekend that Motorcycle Ed did, and it was super cool, right? Oh, and cool. so I really love old literature and I like learning about it. But this one I had before. I was into the history because Doug had it. And I was like, obviously this is my just for today forever. Right. Well, <clears throat> is there anything that sticks out from the motorcycle ed that um, workshop? Uh, you know, he actually said, and I had to mental note this. Um, it, it was actually about the third tradition because, you know, over the weekend I was like, all overthinking the crap out of third tradition stuff. Cause I was like, man, I got to be prepared um, but he said also, he said, you know, if you read the third tradition and it works out on why, like it does point out that there is more that is required of us, right? Like the only requirement for membership is the desire, desire to stop using. But once you decide to be a member, there is more that is required of you. And so he didn't go into a lot of detail, but he was like, read it. And I was like, mental note to self. But it was a, it was a cool thing. I'm trying to think about. It was just a lot of stuff. He was talking about the basic text and like how that was uh, put together. I've sat through several history things and our, the history of our basic text is like the coolest thing, right? Like just how they, yeah, how Mm. they did it out. And I guess world service is what I learned is that world service didn't actually want them to do it. Um, And so they finally did get on board, but originally they didn't, they weren't super excited about it. And I was like, why would you not be excited? Well, and they, and they so, didn't have the money. You know, they didn't right. have any money. And they stole their blood plasma. Yeah. I said, just, you know. We just had uh, Boyd P. and Chris B. on. And they were they were sharing some of that stuff with us two weeks ago. Or, well, would have been three weeks ago now on the podcast. Um, yeah. You know, to your point. I heard a guy speaking at our home group one night and he said, the third tradition says that the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop using. He said that makes you a member, but you will never feel like a member until you act like one. Uh-huh. And I thought that uh-huh. was, you know, I thought that was awesome. And yeah. uh, it really takes all of that stuff too. Like not just coming in and meeting attendance, but like feeling a part of, to me, always, I always felt more connected through service. Some type of service or, you know. Well, and I feel like that is part of, that's not the third tradition, but once you decide to be a member, like I'm pretty big into service work, right? Because I went to my very first picnic and some people had put that on, you know, like this whole thing doesn't happen by itself. Like meetings, we don't have magical narcotics anonymous elves that just set up meetings and make coffee. So like part of, for me, part of being a member is doing some service work. I mean, and like you said, it is a great way to get connected to people that you wouldn't otherwise really meet. Yeah. Yep. And if you're feeling disconnected or you feel like, even though the third tradition tells me I'm welcome here, get involved in some of those things. You know, when you see somebody picking up chairs after the meeting, I was thinking about, we talked about this last week. I was thinking about our speaker jam that we had. One of the coolest things, it was a beautiful event, great event, but 
one of the coolest things was after it was over, even the people that had traveled to be there, everybody came together and helped pick up. And nobody had to say, hey, let's pick up the ch-. Everybody just started pitching in, cleaning up, you know, and before you knew it, when you have a hundred people that are helping clean up the, even though the venue was very big, it was back to the way that it looked before we got there in no time. It was, it was pretty cool to see. You know what the coolest yeah. service that I think that you can do is a service that nobody knows about. What you know, is it? I mean, whatever it is, you know, like if you could do something for somebody, wow. anonymous service. you know what I'm saying? Like, Got it. And nobody yes. ever find it. That is hard to do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is be able to do something in secret and nobody ever know where it came from. Listen, I'm That's a tough. big fan of that. I'm a big fan of that because if I check my motives, right. And I'm like doing service work. Like if I'm doing things that people see, like trying to be, for example, I was on activities, right. Um, I'm not on activities now, but I used to be on activities. And I would really like love to chair the meetings, right? And if everybody from Nashville comes to the activity um, and I would love to chair the meetings, but like, then I started being like, why do you want to share these meetings? And really it's just because I like the attention, like everybody knew who I was. And so I changed and stopped. I was still on the committee, but I was like doing other stuff like uh, giving out waters and you know what I mean? Like the thing that wasn't like, Hey, put the spotlight on me. And like, it makes me feel better. Like it doesn't, it doesn't muddy up the feeling I get from service work. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question and it may be kind of difficult to answer without thinking about it, because I know if somebody asked me this question, I don't take the time to think about it, but. Well, Mason, why'd you pick me? (laughs) (laughs) Cause I think, I think you can do it. Uh, no, oh, it's about tradition three. I just, I'm curious to, based off what you've studied and your understanding, how do you think that you, that this tradition can help you outside of narcotics anomalous? Mm, listen, um, so there's just the thing, right. About making people feel seen and welcome, right? Like it's just a thing. Um, and like, it doesn't happen in the outside world. I feel like very much, right. Like when I go to a meeting, I expect to see people and we make eye contact, we hug, we say, hi, I might not even like you, but I still hugged you. Uh, and then when you go into the outside world, it doesn't happen so much. And I just so happen to be the weirdo that is walking through the street. I make eye contact with people. I don't always say hi, but I smile. I hold the door. Like, I just try to see people. And, like, I I know that that's not, it doesn't sound like it's that big. And maybe it isn't that big. But I just feel like to somebody, sometimes, it, like, helped. See, I knew you were getting out of the park. Oh, man. Well, that's, it's just the thing. But I am the weirdo. Some people do look at me like I've lost my mind and why am I making eye contact with them? elevators are a little bit of a strange situation sometimes so i'm like hi hey why why are you talking yeah you know what i think about is like for example you can apply it in your family like when you get a new brother-in-law or whatever even though 
even though he's not blood part of the family, he's officially part of the family, so you can just welcome him in and treat him like he's part of the family. Yeah. <laughs> or if you uh <laughs> or if you get like say wherever you work, like if you hire somebody new, you know. Yeah. As soon yeah. as they sign that contract and you know, they start working there. They're an officially an employee there, so you can start treating them like they're an employee, just like yeah. we're a member when we say you are. Yeah. Uh, so those are some of the ways that I look at that, and there, I'm sure there's many other ways, but those are some of the things I think about when applying this tradition outside of here. I mean, because that is kind of the name of the game, right? Like, we learn what we learn in the room so that we can use it outside, too. No doubt. No doubt. Well, before we wrap it up, Travis, you got anything else on Tradition 3? No, she's pretty much knocked it out of the park, I believe. Yeah, she has. Whoa. So, before we wrap it up, we want to ask your your message. So, maybe, uh, maybe the person listening to this doesn't have the ability to be able to walk into the room. What would your message be to them? Just pretend like they just walked into the room, but maybe they don't have access to it. What's your message to that person? We're really glad you're here. And I know that it feels like I'm almost impossible, but I just need you to keep coming back. No matter what, we'll always welcome you in. I need you to find one person, just one person. That's all. You ain't got to even make a whole tribe yet. Just one person that you can talk to honestly about where you're at and it'll grow from there but just keep coming back please because we need you boom i mean that's that, pretty clear that's pretty clear that, that, that says it all right there just thank you so much for doing this and thank you for all that you do for the fellowship and you keep coming back please we need you listen i'm I'm not going nowhere, all right? I found a home. Y'all can kick me out if you want to. I know about traditions. You can't even kick me out. It's yeah. it's fine. We're stuck, right? Yeah, you're stuck. Well, I appreciate yeah. you guys uh, having me on here. It's been a really great time. Yeah. We will be back next week with tradition number four. See y'all then. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict any addict can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.